We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. And we are live. It is the Tuesday evening edition of the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Rob Doster. We are presented by our partners over at Bet River Sportsbook. You can find us on SiriusXM Channel 84. That is the ESPNU station. We're streaming on YouTube. Make sure you jump in the chat. Ask us some questions. Hit that like button. Hit that subscribe button. All that good stuff. People love that. Uh, I'm joined tonight by two of the best basketball minds in the industry. We have former Indiana and Dayton head coach Archie Miller and former Arizona and Xavier head coach Sean Miller. They are related, if you guys did not know. Uh, we have Texas Tech and Texas coming down to the wire here. Auburn and Alabama are also continuing to play. We're going to get into those once those games go final. And I do want to pick the brains of these two gentlemen on Michigan State, their win at Maryland, and just how good Sparty is. But before we get into all of that, gentlemen, we got to talk about this Kansas team. They went into Hilton Coliseum tonight. They beat the Cyclones 70 to 61 without Oshai Baji, without Sean Miller's guy, Remy Martin. Um, and they did it coming off of an absolute beatdown at the hands of Kentucky in Fall Gallon Fieldhouse on Saturday afternoon. So, Sean, I'm going to hit you on this one first. Uh, how, how impressed are you with Kansas after this win? Well, they, they did some of the hardest things that you can do in college basketball, uh, if you think about it. They had a marquee matchup with Kentucky over the weekend, Rob. And uh, if you judge them by how they played on Saturday, I don't know if any of us have ever seen Kansas get beat that handedly from start to finish in Fog and Allen Fieldhouse, especially with how well they've played this year. And that's a lot due to how good Kentucky is as well. But to put that loss behind you, the home loss, quickly fast forward with only a couple of days in between, travel to Ames, Iowa, which I've been at Ames, Iowa, and it's one of the more difficult places to play at in college basketball. And then on top of it, you don't have your leading scorer and Remy Martin, a key player. You know, how, how are you going to be able to, with all those factors weighing against you, Rob, leave that game with a win? And that's what they did. And winning conference games on the road is one of the hardest things to do. Uh, beating a team like Iowa State has had a tremendous season. And then think about what we just described. I think you have to give a lot of credit to Coach Self and his staff and the players that played in that game. McCormick, I think, had a very big night, but uh, that's what great programs do, not just a good team or a team that's having a good season, but those teams, those teams that are a function of something that's bigger than just one season, you know, like a long-standing program like Kansas, that's, I think, a real trademark uh, 
of what makes them great tonight's performance. So what, what is the most difficult part about not having your star player like that, Arch? Is it uh, preparing for the next game? Is it not knowing whether or not that guy is going to be available? Is it uh, a curveball for the team that you're going up against if they don't know what you're going to do if you don't have that 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 great player? I mean, Oshai Abaji, he's going to be a guy in the mix for National Player of the Year this season. Yeah, you know, they depend on him for over 20 a game. And when it's really, really important possessions, you know, they're calling his number. They're very comfortable going to him at this point in time. So, you know, I think not a very quick turnaround to practice a ton after you play a late night Saturday game in Lawrence. You have a quick turnaround to go to Ames. Um, you know, you're going to rely on pretty much what you do and you're going to have to go to a couple other guys and hopefully they deliver. And um, tonight, David McCormick got 14 and 14. Their big guys showed up. So they were able to play through him a little bit. And then, you know, they shoot 56% from the floor and uh, they go plus 11 on the glass. You know, they did it as a team. And sometimes you may not be able to get away with having Abaji out for long periods of time. If he was out, say, two, three, four games, that catches up to you. But on a one game deal, the adrenaline, you have some different guys step up. You'd be surprised how much that team is successful when they don't have that guy right away. Now, if it was a long term thing, that's when you really the other teams can start to pick on some of your weaknesses and some of the things that you don't have um, that, that aren't as aren't as good. But tonight they have other good players. They stepped up and, you know, to be able to win on the road. I thought that uh, Harris was terrific tonight. You know, he had eight assists and he also had four steals. He got a couple breakaways. Um, they, they got those guys out in front. So Kansas did it as a team. And uh, a very important win for them as they're trying to win the Big 12. And Rob, yeah. we talked about this yeah. in previous shows. You know, Kansas winning the Big 12, 12 consecutive years, it's one of the most iconic things you can talk about in college basketball history. Winning a conference as good as the Big 12 for 12 consecutive years. And, you know, again, when you talk about, you know, tonight was a function not only of this year's team, but of really the last 15 years. 20 years at Kansas and obviously coach self's uh, tenure, but they expect to win. They have confidence. And, you know, the other thing we've talked a lot about with Kansas, some of these teams, as you look at February, when more familiarity comes into it, you're playing road games. You have this injury thing that happens. You have to play through foul trouble. Your offense goes, you know, you watch time and time again, teams go through these scoring droughts and they can't score. Kansas remains, even after tonight, a top five offensive team in the country. And, you know, when you have that confidence that you can score the ball and be as efficient as they have been from start to finish, you know, it helps them in a game like tonight. Yeah, we got to talk about the big fellow, though, guys. On your podcast, the Next Play podcast, we did a good 30-minute segment about how impactful um, what having that kind of presence in, in the post will bring you, right? It was about a Baji and about having that big guy inside exactly. and the way that Bill Self kind of schemes those seals for him, right? So with the way that he played tonight, he was 7 for 7 from the floor, 14 and 14. That's that's not an easy thing to do, Sean. So when you have him there, when the big fella, Dave McCormick, and he's playing like this, what does it, what does it do to the rest of that Kansas offense? Well, tonight they really needed him, Rob. And again, a sign of a, of a great team is that when something goes wrong, tonight you had multiple players, including your best player, not available for the game. Somebody else has to be able to step up. And, you know, tonight McCormick, he, he, 
he delivered, but the way Kansas plays, it puts him in a good position to deliver. You know, we, like you said, we've talked about this. As much as you see three-point shooting and defense to offense and the spacing of constant hard drives and, you know, drive to pass, which Kansas does a great job of, they still like game in, game out. Some games he brings it more than others, but they really never forget trying to get him the ball. And Arch, you know, I know Arch is probably above and beyond Rob. He's Alabama's biggest fan, but he's also Oscar at Kentucky's biggest fan. I'll agree with tell you, a big thing when you watch the Kentucky-Kansas game is Oscar is great in ball screen coverage. You know, he's rebound and he's the elite. He's the number one rebounder in America. But when you watch Oscar play pick and roll defense, he he's he's special. And I, man, I thought like him alone disrupted Kansas a little bit. Some of the some of the roles and some of the things that they can get easy baskets to McCormick, Oscar he himself kind of took that away. So um but, I agree with that. Yeah. And 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 look back to Kansas for decades when you played Kansas, you always had to worry about a big man, sometimes multiple big guys. I mean the Morris twins, we played them arches with me at Arizona and they had those two guys in there and Jeff Withy who transferred in. And it was like, it was the way they played inside, inside, inside. Well, this year and, and really in previous years, they're a little bit more fluent, a little bit more balanced, maybe even more perimeter. But I still think that they have the know-how and, and the ability to get him the ball. And that, that will be big for them as they try to win their conference. Yeah. Arch, I also thought it was important that Dewan Harris came out and had this kind of a game. Um, yeah. 38 minutes. Won- yeah, 38 minutes, 14 points, eight assists, uh, four steals. He's always been really good defensively, but it's the the playmaking, right? Like my biggest concern is that you have a whole bunch of guys on this Kansas roster that can finish off a play, whether it's Oshai breaking down a closeout or catching a lob or hitting a three, Christian Brown doing the same things, David McCormick on the post-ups. You need, at least in my mind, that one guy that can make something happen if you're going up against a set defense, if you can't get something out of your stuff. And it feels like, DeWan kind of showed that a little bit tonight. I guess a really good defensive team too. Yeah, you know, he, he's um, he's sort of become their guy, you know, for him to play 38 minutes, um, I think kind of shows their trust in him. And he clearly has been given the ball because he runs the offense and runs their system the way I think that they want him to run. But I think you mentioned it a little bit earlier. It's interesting to see Kansas, you know, they had Remy Martin out tonight. They also had Abaji. But they got 17 minutes from uh, Coleman Lands, and they got 23 minutes from Yusefu. Mm-hmm. Those two guys didn't even, I don't think, checked in very much against Kentucky. So he went into his bench, and he basically got, you know, 40 minutes from two guys who hadn't been playing. And Yusefu, Yusefu he, he gets four assists, and uh, Coleman Lands hits two threes. That's kind of how you do it when things aren't going well. And, um, you know, he plugs those guys in there, and they came in there. It's just going to make Kansas that much better to have those guys playing um, like that. But point guard play in particular, when you watch Kansas over the years, I mean, whether it's Frank Mason um, or a couple of those other guys, I mean, when they have a great point guard, they're tough to deal with, like everybody, really. All right, Sean, I want to ask you about uh, Kentucky's performance on Saturday really quick, because I know you got something to say about that. How how impressive is it to walk into that building in Fog Allen Fieldhouse when there's 18,000 people in that arena? You're playing eight on five. We all know it. I don't know if you guys can say it, but we all know it. Uh, how how impressed were you with what uh, Kentucky was able to do? Very impressed. And what it reminds you of is the games that Kentucky has lost this year have been hard-fought battles on the road 
against some great teams, but they've had an injury and multiple injuries in those games to what I think makes their team great. And that is they not only have one terrific point guard on the court, Rob, they have two. And Rob, you've been following UConn forever, okay? When you think back to their national championship teams, especially with Kemba, there's not just one primary ball handler out there, there's two. And if you study the NCAA tournament in the final four, we can off the top of our head, Duke comes to mind of teams that not only has that one point guard, but they have that second guy. And Kentucky has that in a huge way. You know, they complement each other. They can do it on defense. They can do it on offense. Ty Ty physically is much bigger, so he can guard the player off the ball. Um, and, and I think when you watch those two guys play, like when you watch Kentucky, they have an amazing pace to their game. Well, one of the things that helps their pace is they have multiple guys that can make the pass. They have multiple guys that can push it at breakneck speed. And it's like the sign of a great point guard is he makes the game easier for everybody else on the team. In Kentucky's case, they got that times two. And when they have been healthy, they have not lost. And we talked about it on some of these podcasts in the past. Remember how they began in November, how they looked Think about how they've evolved. And when I saw them against Tennessee at Rupp Arena, score 60 points and a half. Tennessee is one of the nation's elite defensive teams, and they put 60 on them in a half. They made it look easy, but again, they were healthy. And I think that as much as we want to say, man, that was a tough loss for Kansas at home on Saturday, I think who's the team that's trending the right way right now nationally? I got to start with Kentucky. I want to elaborate on a point that you just made about the two point guards because I have the list. All right, you ready? In two thousand yeah. in, in twenty twenty one, Butler won with Jared Butler and uh, and Davion Mitchell in the backcourt. Twenty twenty, there's no tournament. Twenty nineteen, Virginia wins. They have Kihei Clark and Ty Jerome. Twenty eighteen, it's Villanova, and they have Jalen Brunson and Mikael Bridges and Dante Divincenzo. They basically play with four point guards out there. In two thousand seventeen, it's Joel Berry and Nate Britt at North Carolina. Two thousand sixteen, Jalen Brunson. Ryan Archidiakno, 2015 at Duke, you have uh, Tyus Jones and Quinn Cook. In 2014, it was Shabazz uh, Napier and Ryan Boatwright for UConn. In 2013 with Louisville, it was Russ Smith and Peyton Siva. 2012, yeah. Kentucky is the last one where you didn't have two point guards. And that had that team had Anthony Davis and Michael Key Gilchrist, the top two picks. I can keep going if you want. No, Rob, no. hey, you- look, the, the point you're making, and you're only naming the, the eventual champion, correct? Mm-hmm. Yeah, just I mean, if, if you fill in like who else is in the final four, you know, a few years ago when Gonzaga, after all the great years they've had, finally broke into the final four, they had two point guards on their team. Mm-hmm. Under Coach Williams at Carolina, when they had their best runs, Carolina, they had more than one on, on the court. And I think it just, I think about Ohio State when Thad Mata was the coach, you know, as much as everybody was enamored that year with, Michael Conley Jr. and Greg Oden and that crew. I mean, Arch, you know this better than anybody. Jamar Butler, an all Big Ten point guard, was right next to Michael Conley. And it just, I think that no doubt, Baylor's the great example from a year and really the last couple of years. It it really makes it hard. At Arizona, it's something that we were trending towards doing. I wish, trust me, there's a lot of things you go, hey, if I could do it again, what you would do. But I wish in some of our recruiting success, we would have thought that way at an earlier time. 
Um, but the way the game has moved, it just, it helps offense. And in the case of Kentucky, Arch, I, I think you agree with me. Those two guards really complement each other on defense as well. Wheeler, he picks up full court. He is a pest. He's quick on quick. And Ty Ty is a big, strong, physical guy that can guard different people off the ball. Yeah, I mean, I think what Wheeler's done for those guys, and then he was probably the biggest key component in those two losses of, of going out of the games, and then they lose Ty Ty. But, you know, those two guys had 13 assists and four turnovers on the road. And that's you go yep. to Kansas, you go to Lawrence, you go you, you go into Fog Island, and you play with your two guards for forty minutes with thirteen assists and four turnovers. That's great. As a team, they had nineteen assists and nine turnovers. You know, and I think the thing about Kentucky, which is really unique, is you know Keon Brooks had an amazing game, but I think it just goes to show you if they can get production from him and Toppin, there's really not many teams that can beat him. You know, really, you're going to have to play really well to beat Kentucky if they get production from that fourth player, because their three guards are all productive, whether it's Wheeler, Ty Ty, Grady, and then you have Oscar doing his thing. That fourth guy, you know, kind of that one guy out there, he can't go, you know, and have two points. And they got a huge game out of Brooks. They also got 11 out of Toppin. And I think I think you saw a complete picture of them when they're at their best at Kansas and um they're definitely trending in the right way, but, you know, I just, I go back to the whole deal on what's making them so unique right now. And I think Sean, you made the point, but Oscar's ability to stay on the floor, defend the other team's rim. And then the way that he rebounds on both ends kind of paralyzes the other team. You really can't get out and run a ton because you can't get a rebound. And then he's all over, you know, the, the defensive glass and the outlet Wheeler, those guys are pushing now. Kentucky's really yeah. running. Um, he's a unique player on what he's doing and the most important player to any team that aspires to make a final four run is definitely him. He can't come off the floor, but I always say this Kentucky's biggest weakness is their four position. And the other night it was maybe their, their greatest strength. Yeah. Arch And Rob, I want to make a point too. Like let's not forget that a year ago, and I know COVID had the world upside down, but Kentucky won nine games. And if you think about the players that they added in this offseason, and to Cal's credit, him and his staff, they did it a different way. Like the other part I think that we need to address with Kentucky is they don't have seven freshmen out there trying to win at Fog Allen Fieldhouse and trying to win the SEC this year. They don't. They have Ellen Grady, Grady scored 2,000 right. points before he got there. So you think about that, and plus the poise and the know-how and the understanding that he brings to the locker room to practice every day. Hey, same thing for Wheeler. You know, Wheeler's not standing next to Ty Ty, and both of them were in high school a year ago. You know, I'm sure that part of what's really helping Ty Ty develop is that his buddy and the guy that he's out there with and around every day has been through the SEC multiple seasons. So, and, and ditto for Oscar. We both know that he was well coached to West Virginia. He went through a season. I mean, this isn't like, hey, a year ago, he was playing in the McDonald's All-American game. And I also think the balance of age and experience with that two-point guards, with the nation's best rebounder, um, Kentucky. And the other part I would say is, Nobody wants to vote for Cal for coach of the year because it's like, well, he has all these great players. Just think about what we talked about. They won nine games a year ago. 
He changed a few things in his organization. He went about recruiting a different way. And I don't think anybody has gotten more out of their team, improved their team more, or has a team ready to go here in February more than, than John Calipari in, in Kentucky. Yeah, so this is the field of 68 after dark. We are on Sirius XM. Channel 84, that is the ESPNU station. We're streaming on YouTube. We're streaming on Twitter. Jump in the chat. Ask us a question. Uh, make sure you hit that like button and hit that subscribe button. We talked a little bit about two-point guards. And Arch, I need to go to you on this one, man, because it's a Big Ten team that has two-point guards, and I don't know if either of them are any good, and that is the Michigan State <laughs> Spartans. Tonight, they went into College Park. They knocked off Maryland. Uh, and they are now sitting at 17 and four overall and eight and two in the Big Ten, which is tied for first place with Wisconsin and Illinois. Please explain to me why the Spartans are winning and tell me if they're actually any good, because I don't think that they really are. Well, Michigan State's a much improved team uh, from a year ago. Um, I think the thing about Michigan State is they may not have an all conference performer in the all Big Ten this year. Think about that. They may not have a guy on first or second team but they have 11 really good Big Ten college players. And adding Walker, who's an older guard who can play point guard, they're a year older in many positions. And they only play, you know, really two freshmen, Christie playing a lot and, and Akins is playing some, but they're, they're, they're Michigan State. You're always going to have a hard time scoring and you're going to have to defend and rebound the ball to be in the game with them, which gives them a chance to be in everything. And then they're getting great contributions from a lot of guys on given night. Malik Hall is a perfect example of what Michigan State is. He has 16 tonight. They run roll replace for the last possession of the game, and he drives the ball with, with no time left and makes a layup. Malik Hall, a year ago, he may not have played in multiple games in a row. You know, he, he would go a week without getting in. He was rotating a lot of different guys and trying to figure it out. But tonight, Malik Hall, they call his number for the game winner. I think that's pretty much how it's described Michigan State, you know, with what they're doing. They're doing it by committee. Are they good enough to win the Big Ten? I think the Breslin Center gives them a great chance. I don't know if they can win the Big Ten, but I will tell you this. Michigan State's going to be a tough out in March. They're going to get a good seed. And I wouldn't be surprised at all if Michigan State isn't another really unique March in terms of being able to advance multiple times. Sean, what is it about Tom Izzo that allows him to, to figure this stuff out and, and, and get these teams put together? What makes him such a good coach? You know, all great programs. We've talked a lot about Kansas. We've addressed Kentucky. It's They have an identity, Rob. It's, when you watch them play, what do you think of? When you watched UConn under, under Coach Calhoun for all those years, although the names and faces changed, and maybe from one year to the next, they were more heavy or less in the backcourt versus inside. They rebound the ball to death. Like they kill you on offensive glass. You can't get a second shot. It was their identity. It was the thing that was the most important. And when you play Michigan State, two things. One, you, you have to be able to rebound with them, especially when they get going on the offensive glass. And if you look at this year's team, what's the one thing they're using those 11 players to their advantage? They're one of the nation's best offensive rebounding teams. Year in, year out, it's the same. I think the second thing is, you know, they play at a, at a fast pace that's very deceptive, like fast into what they do on offense, and that ball is coming up the floor. But I think, look, they have to they have to solve their turnover problem. I, I don't think this is news to Coach Izzo or his group. 
when you're as bad, and they are bad in that area of turning the ball over, it's almost like their ability to offensive rebound just offsets their negativity in terms of turnovers. So it's like as they throw the ball to you, throw the ball out of bounds, and turn the ball over at this crazy level, they at least get most of their misses back, so it negates. If they could ever cut down their turnovers and continue to be the offensive rebounding team they currently are, I think that's when they'll really have a chance to have not just a good season because they've established that, but you know the typical Michigan State late run in March. But I just can't see them doing that until they solve this, this turnover program, like turnover problem. I mean, they're 300 in four, 314. I can't believe I said that in terms of taking care of the ball. There's, there's 313 teams that play a 40-minute game that do a better job of taking care of the ball than Michigan State. It's hard to believe, and I think it's amazing they have the record that they have in spite of that. Yeah, and so they're coming off of a win over Michigan over the weekend as well, um, and they have Rutgers coming up here next before a date with Wisconsin uh, next, I believe that's next Tuesday. Uh, when they will be playing for what might be for first place in the Big Ten. They're also tied with Illinois, like I said, and Arch uh, Purdue is sitting there one game uh, behind everybody at the top of the league. So if you had to make a pick right now, I'm putting you on the spot. You got to make a prediction. Who who do you see winning this Big Ten regular season title? I think Purdue will win the Big Ten regular season. I think they have the best home court in the league. I think it uh, Wisconsin, you know, Johnny, Johnny Davis – it took them about 37 points and 10 rebounds. That's what it's going to take to beat Purdue at Purdue. And I know they had a tight one against Ohio State, but they were up by 20. But I feel like Purdue's home court, and I feel like Purdue's experience will take over in February a little bit. Um, not that these other teams won't be there, um, you know, at the end of the day. But um, to me, I think Purdue will still hang around in the, in the last week or two of the regular season and have a great chance to win it. And, I don't have the schedule off the top of my head, but I'm not sure of Purdue's remaining road games. They've already been to Indiana and Illinois. I don't think they go to Michigan State this year. Um, I'm not sure if they get Wisconsin twice, but they've already beaten Illinois on the road. So I'm not sure how that all lines up, but in the Big Ten, your remaining road games plays a big role in how these next few weeks are going to come up for the regular season champ. Yeah, so they're at Minnesota, at Michigan, at Northwestern, and then they end with this run of three games at Michigan State, at Wisconsin, and Indiana at home on the final day of the regular season. They also have they a home still game. got some tough ones to go. Um, yeah, but the, the, they also have a home game with Illinois in there, too, which you is cannot. Not here's the thing in the Big Ten in February, if you're going to play for the regular season championship, you cannot drop a home game. Because the road games are going to be almost impossible over the next few weeks. But you can't drop a home game if you're going to win the regular season Big Ten championship this year because it's tight. It's a game apiece. I think four losses in the league will end up winning the league. But in general, uh, you're not going to be able to lose any home games. All right. So this is the field of 68 after dark. We are live on Sirius XM ESPNU radio. That is channel 84 on your dials. Uh, we're also on YouTube. Please hit that like button, jump in that chat, ask them some questions. Uh, we're going to be answering those when we go to breaks. Uh, Texas tech is going to hold on and beat Texas here in Chris Beard's return. The final score is 77 to 64. And it was never really a game that felt like it was all that close. Texas made it uh, interesting enough that I at least had to have it on one of the TVs 
down the stretch. Sean, how difficult was this for Chris Beard to walk back into that building and, and play this game, do you think? I'm sure it was hard. I'm sure it was hard on not only him, Rob, but his family. <laughs> you know, I, I think that I'm, I'm sure part of what he feels is, look, I love Texas Tech. I, I made the best decision for my family, but not not to the detriment at all of Texas Tech. And, and really what I think the Texas Tech fans will come to grips with is this worked out for everybody. You know, Mark Adams, uh, you can make a strong argument that he's in the conversation for the national oh, yeah. coach of the year, the big 12 coach of the year. I mean, he's done just an amazing job. We've talked about that in the past, but you know, as hard as it is for Kansas to go on the road without their best player, especially after losing at home to Kentucky this weekend. That's really impressive, Arch. But, you know, sometimes when you have this, this game that everybody has circled and you're the home team and you're Texas Tech, like you can let the emotion work against you and you lay an egg. And it's like you were yeah. so amped up, you were so overly excited that it actually worked against you and you did not play well in this game. You have to give Texas Tech credit. They 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 came with that amazing energy, and it was a meaningful game. But they played it the right way. They played their style. And again, like we've talked about in the Big Twelve, every game you play, it's like a quad one game, right? I mean, tonight Texas Tech they add to their resume of just quality wins, and they beat a very good Texas team. Amazing. Yeah, it's a good point. You know, with all that emotion, all that energy. You know, Texas Tech did what they do. They held Texas to 40%, 26% from three. They were plus nine on the glass for the whole game. You're going to win a lot of games doing that. And that's what Texas Tech is doing right now. They are just – they're imposing their defense on you. They get enough offense from different guys on given nights. I mean, they had – what, they had four guys in double figures tonight. I mean, it's uh, it's an impressive run that they're on right now, and uh, I wouldn't want to be going to Lubbock here in February to to have my season on the line. I can tell you that it, that's got to be one of the harder places to get it done right now. You know, yeah. I watched Texas Tech and Tennessee play earlier this year in New York City. It was an early November game, and I remember thinking that although both of these teams are really good on defense, man, are they going to be able to score enough points? To, to win. You know, it's one thing to be really good on defense, but you, you, you have to score a little bit too. And Texas Tech is, I think, incrementally found who they are on offense as well. Yeah. And yeah. it's like they can ride their defense, make that who they are. It's truly their identity. But look, guys on their team make plays. They're executing. And uh, they've really improved since that game that I've talked about. Like you look at teams where they begin and who they are in February. You know, Texas Tech has improved, I think, as much as any team that, that I've watched over the last couple of months. Yeah, I agree well, with you. I watched them play Providence early in the year at the dunk. And offensively, they, you, were, you were questioning how are they going to score other than maybe Terrence Shannon. But right now they have a lot of different guys contributing tonight. I mean, McCuller, he shot 15 free throws in that game tonight. There's a lot of free throws in a game yeah. for an individual player. So they're getting it done a lot of different ways for different guys. And um, they're very impressive right now. It's, I mean, we've talked a lot about their run, but this was a big win for them. You know, right now they're five and are they six and three or five and three in the big 12? They're, 
They're they're six and three in the Big Twelve, and and for the people just tuning in now, coming in from uh, the Alabama Auburn game, this is the Field of sixty eight after dark. We are presented by our partners at Bet Rivers. My name is Rob Doster. I'm joined right now by Sean Miller and Archie Miller, and we are talking about Texas Tech's win over Texas. Now, one of the things, guys, that I was a little bit concerned about. Uh, for the Red Raiders coming into this game is is when you play at home in an environment like this and you miss a couple shots and you kind of hear the crowd groan a little bit um, and you have the pressure on uh, your fans expecting you to put together a certain kind of performance. Uh, it, it could almost be a little bit more difficult to play at home in this situation, Sean. So uh, let me ask you, have you ever been in that kind of a spot? And um, how how impressed were you with the way they kind of came out? And I mean, look, they landed the first punch and never looked back. No, I've been in it quite a bit, you know, McHale center in particular, you know, you have a whiteout playing a nationally televised game, a game of great meaning between two teams. You know, you have to guard against being too emotional, you know, wanting to win too bad. And, and really what happens when that is the case, Rob is individual players and just your team in general deviate from what makes them good. You know, uncharacteristically, somebody tries to make a one-on-one play, you know, just your, your, your ex, your execution of the things that have made you a good team already, it disappears slightly because your mind is so much on the result. And I think it's just important that you keep going back to do what we do and tonight do it well, do your job, you know, whatever your role is, it's not about doing any more or less than you've always done. Let's be who we are tonight. Let's let's make sure that our identity is in place. And, you know, I just talked about it a minute ago to credit Texas Tech. They did not let the emotion of the game become too big. They truly won with their defense. Arch mentioned they held Texas to 40 percent from the floor, 26 percent from three. And what did Texas Tech do? What they always do. And they did it tonight against uh a good opponent and a very Texas, emotional Texas game. is a good defense team too. You know, they, they shot 30 free throws in that game. That just goes to show you right there how the, you know, their physical, their, their force, the drive in the ball. And I, I, I would say that that energy level in that game, you know, can take the gas out of you early. You've seen it yeah. a thousand times. We're like first four minutes, five minutes of the game, your entire team's out of gas. Like they were, you know what I mean? They just, yeah. they, they ran out of juice, but, uh, Texas Tech, they got a chance to win the Big 12. I mean, legitimately, they have a chance to win the Big 12 regular season right now. They're at six and three, and uh, Baylor and Kansas are ahead of them. But um, there's a there's there's probably halfway to point right now. They're one game back. Texas Tech can win the Big 12. Whoever so wins the Big 12 this year, whoever wins the Big 12 this year, they they should have they should get to sit out their conference tournament. <laughs> whoever wins the regular season they should say we don't we want you to have the freshest legs don't get anybody hurt you've done something already that no one else can say they've done you've won in a the regular season championship in in a conference year where it may be historically one of the all-time best conferences so don't get beat up in a conference tournament you're a one seed it's a wrap i mean that, hey, that actually right now, that's so right now, difficult Kansas. of a conference I, right I would, now, Kansas and Baylor are one seeds, and we're saying Texas Tech could win the league. Could, could well, they get I mean, three? I'm really saying it. You, you get into that conference tournament if you're the Big 12 champ. In my mind, the only thing that can happen is an injury or you just unnecessarily take some gas out of your sail. I mean, winning six games in a row is hard enough. Uh, and, uh, I mean, really, maybe, maybe that's something that we can – 
talk to the Big 12 commissioner about. You win a regular season championship, automatic buy to the NCAA tournament. Right. So let me ask you guys this. I made the argument last night that the Big 12 may not actually have an elite team. And I don't know if it's just because you can kind of poke holes in all of the teams that are in the top 10. It's just no one that is uh, perfect, so to speak, in college basketball. But I do wonder if there are enough concerns with Baylor and with the point guard issues at Kansas and the inconsistency of Dave McCormick to kind of say, like, look, part of what makes the Big 10 or the Big 12 great is that everybody is really good. But is there, do you think Kansas, Baylor, Texas, heck, can those teams win national titles, Arch? Baylor healthy, Cam. I think you're seeing Baylor here the last three and a half weeks with somebody out. You know, somebody's out here. Two guys are out there. They haven't had their full arsenal of guys in maybe a month. I mean, Sokan's been out. He gets back. Then they lose uh, Akinjo, who's playing great. And then last night they have Cryer and Flagler out of the game. And, uh, that just hopefully will make them stronger as it goes. But if Baylor is healthy, full go with all their troops, they can win the national championship. And I'm sure make the case right now that, you know, a couple other teams uh, can probably do it as well. You know, can Kansas win it? I'm sure they can if they're clicking on all cylinders. But Baylor's the most gifted team, uh, the best team if they're healthy. Yeah, and, you know, I, I keep going back to Kansas – I think they're overachieving. I think that's kind of what you're hinting at, Rob. You know, they've had more talented rosters. I mean, they they don't have a single high school All-American right now on their roster. That doesn't always mean everything. I understand that. But when you look over the last decade or 15 years at Kansas, where would this team's talent level rank? You know, they're getting the most out of their team. And that's what a great coach like Bill Self does. But Right now, there's so much parity in college basketball, Rob. There's 20 different teams that can make a run and compete for a Final Four in a national championship. If not more, you know, the, the eligible immediate transfer that you not only can go from one school to the next, but you're eligible right away. I mean, it, it's changed the dynamic, and I don't think it's till this year's NCAA tournament begins that you really see that play out that sometimes those early rounds, which they always featured upsets, my prediction is this year, there'll be more than ever before, just because the experience is so important. And we talked a little bit earlier about Kentucky, that what's different about their team? Why does it feel like these guys are special? I think it's not only their, their group, but it's the experience and the age of a guy like Grady and Wheeler and, and Oscar. You know, those guys aren't high school seniors a year ago. They, they're older and, and more experienced. And I think the Big 12, they have a number of teams. If you can go wire to wire and win the Big 12 regular season championship, of course you can compete for the national championship. I think that's probably Duke's. I know everybody picks at Duke, but Duke's biggest disadvantage or knock on them isn't really their players or talent, it's their age. Of all of the teams that we discuss. Like they showed that graphic on TV tonight with Texas and Texas Tech. Ten players on those two teams are 22 or 23 years old. I would be shocked if Duke has a guy – I mean, maybe they have one 22-year-old. But Duke is the youngest team 
that's trying to compete to win a national championship legitimately right now. In terms to your, of to your point, Arch, um, Joey Baker is, uh, is, is one of the seniors on the roster. I think he's the one four-year guy that they have that plays. And he came he was, early too. Yeah. He was an early enrollee. So he's not even like a real senior in college. Right. But like they're, they're, they're by far and away young. And um, to your point on Kansas though, I think the Kentucky game showed you right there from a talent perspective, they can Didn't be up the same. Yeah. They can be overwhelmed. They be honest with you. I said this to you, I think you guys after the game, Kentucky made Kansas look small. They yeah. made them feel it made it made Kansas look like a, a smaller, littler team. You know what I mean? I think that was very evident in terms of like Kansas's talent versus even Kentucky's. All right. We got about a minute before we got to get to a break here, but I do want to ask you guys one thing really quick about Texas Tech and Mark Adams taking over that program. How it's the continuity factor, I think, that, that makes a lot of sense to me. In the, and the, what I mean by that is you have a guy coming in that understands what the culture is in that program. And I do believe, Sean, you kind of hinted at this earlier, the culture at Texas Tech, I think, is, is so important to the reason why they're able to succeed. Because that style of play, that kind of blue-collar, rugged, we're going to win the fight, hopefully we win the game too, that, that, that ethos and identity – fits so perfectly in Lubbock and it fits so perfectly with Mark Adams as a basketball coach. Yeah. So Rob, I would answer your question this way. It's what Chris Beard right now is going through at Texas as, as he's taken a different personality and a different style in fairness to Chris Beard and his staff, they're good right now, but they'll become great. I believe it, it, you never can quite get that done in the first six to nine months. You, you're so much at the mercy of what happened a year ago, two years ago, three years ago in that program, or how many returners you have from that. And I think what Mark Adams in Texas Tech has really taken advantage of is he was there. And when they went to the national championship, you know, he watched their defense, you know, almost win it all. I mean, almost win the national championship. And he's been in the Big 12 playing on the road. He knows the styles of the coaches and the different venues. And, you know, sometimes the trip, how it feels, where you stay, uh, you know, how difficult of a trip it is. Those things are already in place at Texas Tech and you can feel it. But I think that all coaches that are in their first year, to some degree, they're at the mercy of who the coach was there before and like how it felt the last two, three, four years prior to them taking over. And yeah. again, Chris Beard should feel really good about, about that as well, as crazy as that sounds, because he had a lot to do with building the culture at Texas Tech that now Mark Adams is continuing. Mm -hmm. Well, listen, we got to take a quick commercial break here, but coming up next, I'm going to ask Archie Miller why his national champion pick, the uh, Alabama Crimson Tide, <laughs> lost by 20, can we get the replay of that episode when you I said it on more than one occasion? You I mean, didn't say it we, once. It's can, easy to can, find. Can Dagan pull up all of the video slash recordings and say when that came out of my mouth? Hey, hope this guy doesn't buy your house. He'll change his mind as loan will fall. <laughs> I, I mean, he'll be buying mind. another house. I didn't change my mind. <laughs> I did not change my mind. I'm still very impressed by him. I think they've been beat up because they've played the hardest schedule you can possibly play. Their schedule is unmerciful. It, it really is. Uh, I mean, if, if you want to say we're going to take on all comers. Yeah. I give, I give Nate Oates and his staff a lot of credit. That's the very thing that they've done. You know uh, they have not had a night off game off. And uh, you know what? 
again, when you talk about teams who can make runs in March, you they know, can. don't forget, don't forget how battle tested they'll be when they do enter the tournament to win your national championship arch. Well, listen, hold on. Let me, let me stop you guys right there really quick. Cause we do actually have to take a quick break. So coming up next, uh, we tease it a little bit. We're going to talk about Auburn and Alabama. Oh, miss got LSU, huh? All clear. Clear. <laughs> I love it. I love it. We, uh, you guys aren't on the, the text with the producers right now, but um, as soon as I, I tried to throw it to the break and you guys started going, we were like, we're like, are we in break? Do, do we I break? don't know nope, if we're in break yet. or not. We got to talk right through it. Yeah, we are. We are still live right now on YouTube, guys. Um, so we have some questions from the chat. I'm, if I can find any to pull them up. Um, all right, let me let me ask you guys this. This one comes from uh, George in San Diego. Uh, how how worried are you, Arch, um, about Purdue's perimeter defense? Um, you got one about minute. thirty seconds on this one. You got one minute on this one. There, there's there's reason to worry. I mean, Purdue has struggled defensively um, at times for stretches in games, and it's it's hurt them um, at times in games. Purdue is such a, a program based though on playing hard and, and playing defense. You just assume at some point they're going to continue to get better at it and keep going. Um, but I think there's a balance with Purdue, and I think Matt would be the first to tell you. They're the number one 30. offense in college basketball. And to keep that going, you have to have your best offensive players out there. And at times, I don't believe they're their best defensive players. Yeah, that's that's a tough, uh, tough needle of thread there. Uh, Sean, quick 10 seconds on 15. Purdue. The one thing that I'll tell you that I think is a good sign for Purdue is they're not Ten. as bad as he, they could be defending the three-point shot. Like, they're not great at it, but, like, I, when you look at their numbers, they're doing that very we well go. playing two bigs. <laughs> and we are back. This is the Field of 68 After Dark. My name is Ralph ah. Gosser. I'm here with Archie Miller and Sean Miller. Uh, we are live on Sirius XM. Channel 84, that is the ESPNU station. We're streaming on YouTube. We are streaming on Twitter. Please jump in the chat, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button. Uh, we got to talk about Alabama, guys. I teased it a little bit earlier. Archie loves the Crimson Tide. He's high on them. I, he, I don't know if he actually said they're going to win the national title. I, I, I never said, said I, they were going to win. I don't know about that. I, I remember that. that I said go. they could make a run to a final four. And you know what? The, tonight they played a one seed. Didn't yeah. go as well. They played Fair. a one seed on uh, Saturday against Baylor. They played a one seed in Gonzaga. They played a true one seed against Houston with all their players. You've seen them play against all the best teams, and they can beat them. So I think if you're looking for a team that would get hot or can make a run, they can definitely do it. The, the key is going to be how beat up are they going to be by the time they get to selection Sunday. Pretty yeah. beat up. No, you're, 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 you're so right, Arch, uh, the, that you have to give them credit. I mean, their schedule is unmerciful. I mean, just even remember now, they scheduled Davidson. You know, they, they had Colorado State, which would have yeah. been a very difficult non-conference game at home, yeah. and they replaced them with Davidson. And you look at who Davidson is. I mean, they just have had so many tall tasks that – Imagine if you play them in the early rounds of the NCAA tournament. I mean, it, it will be literally like a walk in the park for those guys. I mean, they've been there so many times. It's just the toll that it will take, it will take on their confidence. Take it so. Yeah, that well, they may arrive at that point with nothing left to give. Like when, yeah. when, I, when, you, when everyone talks about strength of schedule or not, 
I love that on Ken Palm, you can see the, the strength of a team schedule, how good the offenses they played against through the course of the season, how good the defenses they played against through the course of the season, overall non-conference. And Alabama's played the number one overall strength of schedule in, the, in America in Ken Palm, the number one offense of team strength of schedule, which means they've played the best offensive schedule. They've played against the best offenses that you can schedule seventh defensively in their eighth in their non-conference schedule. I mean, right now they sit at 14 and eight and they're four and five in conference. They have Kentucky at home this weekend. Kentucky's fighting for a one seed. They're arguably played maybe six of the top eight seeded teams in the tournament if it started today. But I agree with Sean. I just feel like losses aren't good. They're just not good. They, they hear confidence. They make things cranky at times. Uh, confidence is a big thing as you head to February. They're going to have to find a way to string one, two, three in a row for, for, for you to feel really good that Alabama's cruising and, and, and playing. And when they get done with Kentucky, they're on the road at Ole Miss. They have Arkansas at home, Mississippi State at home. Then they go to Kentucky again. And um, they there are no easy games. There, there are no you know, easy games in conference play at this point. I do want they, to ask they could arguably this. be a team with 12 losses that could be a top six seed. I don't know if yeah. that's ever happened. Yeah, I, I do want to ask you guys this because you're both point guards. And, and we talk a lot about the the importance of having a good point guard on the floor, not just because of what he could do with a basketball in his hands, but that leadership, coach, extension of the coach, all that kind of stuff. I do think that watching someone like a Katie Johnson who kind of runs the show for Auburn, who embodies what this Auburn team is um, versus Javon Quinterly, who is super talented, but kind of can give off this like too school, too cool for school kind of a vibe. And I think you see that with who Alabama is and getting these big wins, but also doing things like losing to Georgia or losing to, um, to Missouri or losing to Iona. So Sean, how, how, how important is that? for those point guards in those roles to be able to kind of provide more than just, uh, you know, the leadership, create, get an assist here, run a pick and roll there. Very important. Rob, I, I had a point guard for two years. Wish I had him for four TJ McConnell, who, you know, is the envy of a lot of NBA coaches and teams. You know, he's in his seventh year playing for the Pacers. And um, I, I think back to how he helped every day while he was at Arizona. He didn't just help during the game. He helped prepare the team for the game. He was great in between games in practice. He was great in the summer. And it, a lot of it was the intangibles that you had mentioned. It's no different than the quarterback on a college football team. It's not how he just performs on game day, but who he is every day, because, you know, you think about it in basketball, Rob, it's, it's the only sport you play both offense and defense as a team. When you're on defense, who does everybody see first? So like the other four guys, who do they watch? Who's the tone setter, the, the head of the snake, their point guard. Well, when that same group is on offense and they're down the other end and the ball starts coming across half court, who are they looking at? The point guard, like you set the tone, whether you want to or not, on really everything that happens every day and everything in practice, it's, it's so important. So I used the TJ McConnell example. And this week, the Arizona UCLA game kind of fits what you just talked about. 
Kerr Kreese, who I think has a lot of TJ McConnell in him. He's just younger. He's at the very beginning, but he has no problem like KD Johnson showing emotion, right? Being the heart and soul, diving on the floor, taking charges in. When he's confident and playing well, I think he takes Arizona to another level. On UCLA side, Tiger Campbell, he's that, you know, wily veteran that's been in the final four, that's been through college basketball seasons. And he has maybe a different demeanor, but man, his toughness. And when Tiger Campbell is locked in and playing well, doing it on both ends, I feel like that's when UCLA is at their best. So when you think about that game, how important that matchup is. And and that's really college basketball. Rob, it's why we just talked about earlier in the show, the advantage of two of those guys, right? So now if you have that one-two punch, two point guards on the floor that can do it like Kentucky, I mean, think about what that does for their team, not just in games, but every day. And, and you know uh, so it's important. You know, Rob, it's interesting you say that because Purdue doesn't have a point guard per se, but they have Jaden Ivey who does it for them. Um, he's unique in that way that he sets the tone for Purdue's team. So I think they can get away with it, but they don't have great point guard play in terms of setting the tone. But that's why Villanova has a chance to be great here down the stretch. Gillespie is not more experienced guy, tougher guy than him. James Akinjo doesn't back down from anybody um, at, at Baylor. And then I think what Wheeler's done for Kentucky on both ends of the floor has given them that attitude as well. So I think you're starting to see some of these teams actually separate here in the next couple of weeks because of that one position. Yeah. You mentioned Colin Gillespie, Arch. Yeah. I mean, again, Rob, remember when he got hurt a year ago and how, mm-hmm. how it felt watching Villanova and just the meaning that he brings to their team on offense and defense and every day. Villanova is one of those other teams that we can put in that category when they won it all, that they had more than one point guard. You know, Jalen Brunson, who's – Again, the gold standard of being a winning point guard, especially in college. I mean, uh, think about the meaning he brings to their team, his demeanor, his leadership on offense and on and on defense. But I don't think there's anything more important towards a team's success, but especially we talk a lot on this podcast about teams that can win it all or teams that can go deep into the NCAA tournament in March. I think the prerequisite is you have to have a point guard who has all of those intangibles and maybe two of them helps your cause even more. The the one last thing I want to circle back on, because we've kind of talked about this two point guard theme so far this year is, uh, or so far the show is Auburn. They have two point guards. They start Katie Johnson and Zeb Jasper. Wendell Green plays a lot of the, the minutes at the point guard spot. Uh, they have the three point shooting. They have the defense. They have Walker Kessler in the paint. And they have a guy that Arch, look, we, we, we're going to crush you for, for Alabama. Uh, we got to give you credit. You were the first guy that said Jabari Smith is going to be the number one pick. Yeah. You, he did. Let's give that. him credit for that. He won't deny that. Yeah. He'll take that. <laughs> he'll take that one. He's not going to ask for I'll us to rewind the tape. On, on hey, that. I'll take my pat on the back. <laughs> he won't deny that one. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, look, I think that you guys probably like Ken Palm as much as I like Ken Palm. Auburn's sixth right now. That feels like it's a little bit low for what this team is and what this roster is. On Ken yeah. Palm? Yeah, yeah I mean, they're 12. Rob, they're 12 on offense and 10 on defense. Um, one thing defensively that really hurts them is they foul too much, and part of it is their their style, the amount of guys they play. Um, it's, it's probably something that maybe they don't care as much about, but fouling kind of hurts efficiency. 
uh, when it gets to that. And, you know, they don't get to the line a ton, but, you know, they're really not a great percentage three-point shooting team. You know, they're in the 200s when it comes yes. to percentage shooting from three. So if you if you would say, why are they not like one across the board? They have a couple stats that a couple of these other teams maybe don't have, but what they get out of blocking shots is is incredible what they're doing in terms of protecting the rim and the shot blocking ability that their defense has is a game changer. It really is. I mean, I think it, it trumps the fouling. It trumps whatever else you're going to say, you know, they're not a great defensive rebounding team. So what they're blocking so many shots at the basket. It's becoming really, really hard for anybody over the course of 40 minutes to beat them. You can't get anything easy at the rim. And then, number one, or number one in America in blocks. And they it's got two of them too. They actually had three and their length at the wing is good, but what Walker Kessler may be, um, I would say he's the national defensive player of the year. I don't think that you can put a price tag on him on the value of what he's done for Auburn's team this year compared to where they were a year ago, bringing in all these young guys. Walker Kessler is the defensive player of the year nationally. He's definitely the SEC defensive player of the year. And what he's done for their team defensively um, and how he's changed things around the basket for Auburn is, is one of the reasons right now they have to be the number one overall seed. But to answer your question, Rob, it's real simple. The only thing that Auburn doesn't do well that really hurts them, I mean, because we're talking about there's only five spots ahead right now of where they are nationally. I mean, they are sixth, is that they do foul a lot. And as we know, you know, sometimes if you do foul, it can change the game. And especially as they play against teams that are as talented as they are. And by the way, there's not many of those uh, walking around this country. No. Hey, there's very few teams that can get away with their fouling rate, but their depth, they actually can get away with it, which is, is crazy. I mean, uh, that they have the bodies that they have to be able to absorb that kind of foul trouble. But um, Auburn, Auburn's got the – I mean, I guess the question is, can Auburn run the table here down the back half in conference? You know, they got back-to-back -back road games at Georgia and Arkansas – Arkansas in particular will be a crazy environment. Then they get Texas A&M and Vandy at home. They're at Florida, Mississippi at home, Tennessee on the road for Coach Pearl. I'm sure that one will be live. But yeah, like that's what I was going to say. If they're going to, if they're going to, Tennessee Knoxville will be... absolutely be crazy. But somebody's yes. going to have to knock them off at some point for Kentucky, or um, I guess Kentucky right now is the team that can try and contend to win the. The deal, but they don't play Kentucky again. Kentucky's two games back, and Auburn's think, nine and zero. So think about how much college basketball has changed. And we talked about who Kentucky added. How about how about who Auburn added? Yeah, you got KD Johnson and Walker Kessler that that transfer one from your league, the SEC, and both don't sit out. They're eligible right away, and you plug them in. One of them now makes you the number one shot blocking team in college basketball and KD Johnson, Rob, to your point. I mean, you talk about the motor that makes them go the emotional guy, a guy can just score it, handle the ball and uh, kind of yeah, gives you, them that you know special ingredient. 
You know what's amazing about that, Sean? The two guys that make it work for the teams that are winning the SEC this year are Severe Wheeler and Katie Johnson, who are both Georgia transfers. But listen, this has been the Field of 68 After Dark uh, on Sirius XM Channel 84. We have the After Dark Afters coming up on our YouTube stream. So for Sean Miller and for Archie Miller, for Dagan Hughes, my name is Rob Doster. And that was the show. We are here for the afters. We're still live on YouTube, guys. Um, that was that was a good combo. That was a fun show. I'm glad that we we talked a little bit about Kentucky. I'm glad we talked about Auburn. Uh, Dagan, do you have any questions about the Big East for me? Because uh, I, are I'm you going to talk go. about UConn, Rob, at some point? <sighs> I'm ready for it. Yes, that, I, I have. I have a question. Dagan Hughes, the producer, has a question. Oh, geez. Rob, what are your thoughts on the UConn Huskies tonight? <laughs> Um, it's, it's very frustrating to watch them when they go into those, uh, the, the, the way that they played tonight and the games that they had tonight, it feels like a lot of times they need to be able to get stuff out of what they scheme. They need to get offense out of what they scheme. And if they can't get it out of what they scheme, they kind of forget how to be basketball players. And it's frustrating because I know how good Tyree Spartan can be if he decides he just wants to go. And we see how athletic Andre Jackson is. And RJ Cole's been great. I, it's hard to criticize him for having to carry uh, an entire team at five foot 11. Uh, but if they can't get what they want, it feels like a lot of these guys forget it, how good they are at basketball. And I don't, I don't necessarily know how you fix that, right? Like, I, I don't know how you, how you, how you coach someone up to go from being a little bit too passive to being a little bit more aggressive when the whole reason they're out there is because of, they're supposed to be this guy that's going to win on toughness and win on physicality. And um, I don't know how you, how you develop uh, more of a sense of being just like a natural basketball player when everything that you do offensively is about me, like remaining within the structure of what you want to run and running your set and then running this counter because be, for that counter to work, you got to be able to show them this set two or three times. So I, what do you do? I don't know. If you were, if you guys were Dan Hurley, like what would, what would be the change that you would make? Because I'm, I get very frustrated watching them run offense sometimes. I, I think they're built a certain way and Danny coaches a certain way. And um, you know, they, they execute plays you got a great big guy inside that they want to play through clearly and go in. And, you know, I think sometimes that that's a problem. The one thing I would say about um, UConn is, and Sean, you can speak to this as well for a power five or six team for the talent that they have, they shoot a really poor percentage from two. And when you think about that is what, what does that mean? That means they're taking a lot of shots that aren't great threes or dunks that are hard to make. And when you struggle to score at times, a lot of it has to do with a team either making you take those shots or those the ones that you're conditioned to take, jumpers inside the line, runners, floaters, back to the basket, multiple dribble post-ups, hard baskets. And I think one thing about UConn is they're taking some shots that, that are hard at times. And I think maybe that's why they go through some yes. lulls. And uh, if you look at their team and you kind of break them down a little bit, it's an odd stat for a team that's that talented from inside the three. Why would a team shoot a poor percentage from two when you're that talented? They're taking some tough twos, it looks like to me. Um, they're an unbelievable offensive rebounding team, though. They're going to win a lot of games doing it. The thing that concerns me about UConn is, and they'll rise to the occasion because Danny will have them ready, but the meat of the schedule here this month is going to get hard. 
I mean, they have oh, they, yeah. they have the bulk. You know, they they went on a five game win streak with St. John's, Butler back to back, Georgetown and DePaul, and uh, they're getting ready to go Villanova, Marquette, Xavier right in a row, and they still have Seton Hall, Xavier, Villanova uh, to well, go look, after. Look at that. look at this seven game run. You're and I think Villanova. they have a Providence game in there. They got to make up, right, Rob? It's not that one. It's, it's probably not going to happen because of the way that the Big East schedules work. Okay. You cannot have three games in a week in back to back weeks. And the only way to make it work is you would get three games in a week for three straight weeks for one. I forget what it was, but it's just it does. the way, When Providence yeah. got hit with their shutdown, it was after all of the other games were rescheduled. So it's just it's I don't think that they're going to be able to fit it in. Um, but look at the next seven games for UConn at Villanova, Marquette at home at Xavier at St. John's, which is never an easy place to play. Seton Hall at home, Xavier at home, Villanova at home. That is brutal. We're going to yeah. know how good they are. We're going to know how good they are in these next three weeks. Sometimes, yeah. Rob, when you're that elite as an offensive rebounding team, you know, top five in the country, like your spacing helps you become a good offensive rebounding team. That same spacing sometimes doesn't make you as as sharp when the first shot goes up. I don't know if that makes sense to you or not, but like they are killing you on the glass. They're sending three and four guys to the glass and guess what? You know, it's important to their program that they do it. You could tell it's something that's emphasized and those guys aren't out at 30 feet standing there with their hands up when when one of their teammates drives. I think they drive to shoot a lot, you know, drive to shoot. I would say that's a great point. They're not driving to pass yet. When you drive to shoot, you take more tough twos. And guess what? You drive to shoot, everybody's running in to tip your miss in and to get second shots. So, you know, I think over time, as we keep moving forward, you know, one of the things that they can do is to look at that a little bit more of, you know, there are certain guys that look, you know, being able to make that same strong drive and don't finish it with the challenge to kick it. And, you know, as they do that a little bit more, uh, they're probably going to get more spacing, but guess what? They're probably also not going to be as good of an offensive rebounding team, but, you know, last year, UConn made the tournament, Rob, this year, they're better than they were a year ago. And, and look, you're, you're probably watching a team that is going to be in the tournament, which is hard to do, but, but maybe they're not quite wired to go very far. You know, that's kind of the, who the, they are. The, big, the biggest thing, Sean, is that I think the expectation is that UConn should be back immediately. UConn right. should be back. Dandy's been there for four years. He should have them doing what Jim Calhoun did when you ignore the fact that, like, what Jim, Jim Calhoun did in store. Have you guys ever been to stores, Connecticut? Not yeah. going. There, there's there's no reason why there yeah. should be a basketball powerhouse in stores, Connecticut. So I think we sometimes overlook the fact that what Jim Calhoun did in that school, in that state, should probably have not happened. So uh, I think it's a little bit of an unfair comparison to put. Uh, hey, give Danny, give Danny that. and his staff a lot of credit on where, where they're at with their talent. Oh, they, oh trust me. Trust me. I do. I do. I'm mostly just venting because I just watched a very frustrating yeah. game. And, and Rob, yeah. the other part for UConn to understand fans, UConn fans, when you transition from one conference to the next, like you just don't snap your fingers and say, okay, I'm good. It's like switching a job. Yeah, you know, true. you may do the same thing for a living, but are you going to in the next six to nine months after you change, you know, companies, 
be at your at your highest level of efficiency. It takes a little bit of familiarity and time. Sure. And and again, I think as you look at UConn, the Big East is obviously great for their program. They're great for the Big East, but uh, they're going to be fine. I'm actually going to see their game at Xavier. I haven't been back at Xavier since since I left. I can't believe it. But uh, you think it'll be like Chris Beard? Be <laughs> no, I, I I'm. A, you think not it'll be like Chris there. Beard when you show up? Are they going to attack your bus? No, I represent no challenge. I'm on their now, team. Arch, Arch is going to show up with the Xavier t-shirt on, flipping you off on the bus. Saying, Stop telling everybody that I picked Alabama to win the title. That's, that's what it's going <laughs> to be. I never picked him to win the title. That's I tell thing. you what, don't let Alabama <laughs> lose to Kentucky because he, he won't show up for the next podcast. Yeah, there you go. If they there beat Kentucky, he'll be there early, you know? Yeah. Here's the there thing. You. I think they show up big. I think they show up big at home. But I think Kentucky's going to be hard for Alabama to play fast against. Dagan, Kentucky's the questions? real thing. What's that? Yeah, I said. I said, Dagan, do we have anything else? Any questions coming in? We do. We do have more questions. Um, Rob, this one is specifically for you because Uh-oh. we all know. I, I've already kind of asked you a question, mm-hmm. about UConn, but I'm going to ask you another one specifically for you. Oh, is boy. it time to finally give Providence their flowers? Is Ed Cooley the coach of the year? I. I so I, I'm curious your guys' take on this. I think I would vote for Ed Cooley for national coach of the year uh, at very, this point. Very well deserved. Taking very taking well Providence deserved. from they were seventh in the Big East uh, preseason poll. They are in first place in the Big East right now. Now they still got to get. I think they still get Villanova twice. So they're gonna they're gonna have to to earn it at this point. But um, the fact that you take a team that I don't I don't know if they have an NBA player and they turn it into a group that is this good. And look, I, I like to troll Providence fans on uh, on Twitter, but th- this team is very – it's not a fluke that you win this many close games in a row. I know that we love to throw the lucky uh-huh. stat out there. We love to um, to say like they're number one right now in Ken Palm's luck rating after Goodman called them the luckiest team in America. So it's become like the, the, the thing that just triggers all of the Providence fans. But there's no luck involved when you win this many close games in a row. So I, to me – I think Ed Cooley would be the national coach of the year if I had to pick. Yeah, I mean, I mean, last year they had a, a very tough year. He had some key replacements, some transfers come in. Um, the thing I like about Providence, um, they have great role distribution right now. There's like no messing around mm-hmm. with their roster and their minutes and whatnot. You know who's playing. And I think that's why they've been very good in tight games. They, 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 they're with, between Durham, Al, between Jared Bynum, between Nate Watson, Reeves has been out, but he's a, he's experienced. And, uh, you know, they bring in Manana. Now they, those guys have been in, they, they're in the game all the time. And then they have their, their role guys come in and do a nice job spotting them. They got great role distribution on their team and they're getting great production there. They'll be 20 and two when they play Villanova and they will be 11 and one in the big East by the time they play Villanova be the biggest game in college basketball, the Friars. Those kids kids are so tough. They're so tough. I think the greatest compliment you could pay a team is is really by saying like your whole is greater than, than your individual parts. And when you think about Providence, that's really what you say, you know, that, and this isn't a knock because look, they're, they have some really good players. You don't win that many games without having all Big East players on their team. And they're going to have a couple guys on the all Big East team. Whether they have NBA players or not, that's a story for a different day. 
But when you add up all that they have, including the coach and his staff, they're getting the most out of out of their team, perhaps more than, than anybody else. And we've talked a lot about Texas Tech and Mark Adams and, you know, just watching their identity. Providence also has an identity and uh, they're well coached. They're together. They're tough. They're hard playing. They care. And the other thing is you're playing in front of an incredibly hungry fan base. When you oh. play them at home, when you play, I've been there. I mean, you play at the dunk right now. I thought that's, Fanta, that's I thought Fanta was going to fall out of his seat again <laughs> in that game. I thought I Fanta it. I it. on tonight's game. Fanta, for that. <laughs> Fanta on tonight's game was very calm. I think he he deferred to Coach Raftery a little bit. You know, he was honored to be on that telecast with him, but he he was as mild and even keeled as as I. As I've I was, seen wa- I was walking through the airport in Dallas, Texas. The Providence game was coming down the stretch against Marquette. And these guys at the uh, Fridays, you know, they get the Fridays in the airport. They were losing their mind on, on Fanta, the, the commentary. <laughs> they couldn't believe how, I mean, these people were in Texas. Fanta was rocking the Dallas airport this weekend with his commentary <laughs> with Ben Parisi in that game. I'll tell you this much. That's not the first time that John Fanta has rocked a TGI Fridays <laughs> in an airport. <laughs> I promise you that. Um, all right, Dagan, we got any other questions? We got one more. And I've seen it a couple times in the chat. Um, what are your guys' thoughts on the, the UNC Louisville game as a whole, and especially the ending? Mm. Arch, you want to take that one first? Well, uh, number one, give both teams credit. It was an important game for both. Number one, North Carolina needed – to establish after their winning streak here that they could deliver a win on the road. They got the big game against Duke coming up this weekend and kudos to those guys being able to string that together. I think it's their fourth in a row. Then they got Duke at home this weekend, trending in a direction to be able to make that jump into that tier of teams that can maybe challenge Duke to win the ACC, but definitely moving in the right direction for the tournament. So big win for them. Um, Give Mike Pegues a lot of credit. It's impossible situation. But if you watch the last two games that Louisville's played, they have battled in those games. And um, to me, the game got a little out of whack. Uh, I thought the officiating um, on the one call with Sid Curry was a poor call. Um, and at that point, they had already spilled over their emotions because of the, uh, the other technical that was called a couple plays before. But in that highly contested game, when you have a couple technical fouls and the free throws end up being the difference in overtime, um, it kind of negates the effort level of both teams. But I thought Louisville in this last two games, and in particular tonight, if they keep that deal going with what Mike has been able to encourage them to do, they're going to win some games here, um, you know, coming out, coming in February, which is a good thing for their players and, and Mike as well. He's done a really good job of getting them back in terms of fighting, but tough ending the way that it kind of went with the free throws and the OT. Uh, the call on Sid Curry was a, a poor call. That would have really helped Louisville's cause. Yeah, that was a that was a flop of epic proportions from bad uh, call. Armando Baycott. Terrible call. I yeah. don't I, I don't know if you saw it, Sean, but uh, Armando Baycott looked down uh, went down like it was John. Yeah, Pinto no, I saw I saw it. Yeah, yeah. You know, the, Mike Pegues, give him a lot of credit. He did a great job in the first six games when he had the same role and he's doing an equally good job here in these first two tough when you take, take over and your first two are Duke and Carolina 
back to back. But, <laughs> you know, part of the other part for him is he has to fight for his players right now. You know, though, those players need someone that that's going to going to give them confidence and know that, hey, we all have each other's back here in this next five or six weeks. And he did that at the end of that game. Uh, I think that that's what you, you, you know do what else he, in that he situation. Did. You know what else he did in, in those deal? He basically said, you're either going to be all in and we're going to fight our ass off to the finish and we're going to play like Louisville's going to play hard, tough, whatever. And he put Malik Williams and he suspended him indefinitely. I mean, yeah. right then, right then and there, I think his players probably got a sense and a tone that like, Hey, this guy right here is he is in this deal with us yeah. for the right reasons. And you know what? He's going to get great effort in return because he's not compromising anything at this point in time. He has nothing to lose. All right. So uh, that's, that's the end of this. We got to get to three cheers and then get out of here guys. So I hope you have a cheers ready for tonight. A toast ready. Arch, you got something for us? Oh man. A cheers for tonight. I, I will say this. Mm. I'm going to cheer the Wyoming and Colorado state. Oh, game. you took my ass. I knew he was going to do that. Number one, that was I the honestly, best. I, that I, was the I told best him game. earlier about that, and he filed no, no, that no, away. No, 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 no. And no doubt, no doubt. I didn't it. steal a cheer from you. No doubt. I'm going to say, number one, that was one of the best college games from coaching to players' Same. environment that you'd see. I mean, it's just unfortunate somebody had to lose. But to me, I'm also going to cheer the Mountain West. I think the Mountain West Conference in February will be the most exciting league to watch. I mean, it really is. You got teams not only fighting for the league title, you got five teams now fighting for bids. So kudos to that game, Wyoming, Colorado State, and the Mountain West here in February. Sean, what do you got for us? I'm going to go with the Washington State Cougars in Pullman, Washington. And because we've ignored the West again, uh, I'm going to make sure that that I remind everybody what happened this past Sunday. Uh, on the eve of the uh, NFC and AFC Championship Sunday, the Washington State Cougars, who've been hit with COVID protocol and shutdown, et cetera, they came back healthy and they put it on the Colorado Buffaloes in a huge way. They were up at one point by almost 40 points in that game. They won by close to a 30-point margin. I think they're a team in February that's going to be really difficult. And my prediction will be they'll have a say-so in who wins the Pac-12 regular season championship because they're capable of beating the best teams in the Pac-12. Washington State, Kyle Smith, if you haven't seen them play or seen him coach, he does an outstanding job. They have a younger group, but those guys are talented and and I think they're primed to have a great, great six weeks. But – but they, uh, you know, conference game, and and look, no one's going to give them credit but Sean Miller. So I'm going to cheer my Stella to Kyle Smith and the Washington State Cougars. Pullman, Washington. Go Cougs. Go Cougs. All right, so oh I'm going to cheers. My cheers is going to be college basketball as a whole. And the reason that I'm saying this is you look at the last three days. We've seen unbelievable environments in Providence, Rhode Island. We saw an unbelievable environment last night in Laramie, Wyoming for an overtime game between two teams that are kind of on the bubble. We saw we saw Auburn Arena and whatever it is in Texas Tech and Lubbock, two places that are thought of as like mediocre football schools without any kind of a basketball program to talk about in general that were electric tonight. This week, 
we have Villanova at Marquette tomorrow uh, in a game that's going to have some serious implications for the Big East regular season title. On Thursday, we get UCLA, Arizona again with Bill Walton on the call again. On Saturday, we have Duke, North Carolina. On Saturday, we have UConn at Villanova. We have Kentucky at Alabama. Um, we have Baylor Kansas, at Baylor. Kansas. Yeah, yeah, we have USC at Arizona. It's been an unbelievable week of college hoops. It's been electric in places that you don't necessarily think of as being electric college basketball atmospheres. And guess what? I was on the field of 68 after dark with Sean Miller and Archie Miller. So for our producer, Dagan Hughes, nice. my name was Rob Doster. Cheers, guys. Cheers, Rob. Cheers. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile and the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time, there's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.